Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hi friends, welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. So as you've noticed, I've been kind of running behind on my episodes. I simply don't have enough time and energy sometimes to power through researching, writing, recording, and editing. It's a lot of work, and I know so many podcasters do this as a full-time job, so you know this is no easy feat. I hate to release so few episodes, so to kind of make up for that, I've decided to re-release some of my older Patreon episodes, but partially rewritten and re-recorded. That means if you were a Patreon member back then, then you may have already heard this episode, so feel free to skip. I know there are various new listeners, so hopefully this will be new to the majority of you. And if you've heard this case and don't remember... Well, now's the time to refresh your memory. Thank you for understanding, and I do apologize for any inconvenience I may have caused. With all that out of the way, let's talk a bit about today's case. This case is 
probably a bit more well-known than the other cases I've covered, since a few other podcasts seem to have covered it before. This is an older case from the 80s, and it takes place in Hong Kong. You've heard many stories from Hong Kong already, including the Hello Kitty murder, the Bramer Hills murder, Rurik Judding, who was driven by sex and drugs, and now I introduce to you the Hong Kong Jarish Killer, also known as the Butcher of Hong Kong, also known as the Rainy Night Butcher. Kind of annoying how serial killers keep getting these nicknames, because some of them kind of sound cool, so I do think we should maybe retire cool nicknames for killers. But I know media will continue to do this because it's more sensational. Anyway, let's begin. The date is March 22nd, 1955. A baby boy was born on this day, which is generally a happy event. But unfortunately for everyone, he would later become one of the most notorious serial killers in the entire Hong Kong area. His birth name was Lam Ko Wan, and his childhood wasn't exactly ideal as his family situation was beyond complicated. He was of Malaysian Hong Kong descent, and he had nine younger siblings altogether, although some of them would be his half siblings. His father had many different wives as Lam was growing up, and he was the eldest son, his mother being the first wife of the family. When he was very young, his father was often away working in Southeast Asia, leaving him and his mother and siblings in Hong Kong. As you might have heard, sometimes when husbands and wives are away from each other for long periods of time, it makes it easier for new relationships to blossom. That's what happened with Lam's father. His dad basically got a girlfriend while he was away, and even after Lam, his siblings, and his mother moved to be with their father, he continued to see his girlfriend, even housing everyone under one roof. Like I said, complicated. Towards the end of the year 1962, when Lam was about seven, they all moved back to Hong Kong, where he began his elementary schooling. Despite having so many different women figures in his life, only one thing really stuck out to him. None of them ever stood up for him when his father punished him. This could be seen as a time his hatred for women began. He was once slapped so hard across the face, he hit his head on the wall. Why? For not telling his family it was dinner time, when it was in fact dinner time. That sounds rather ridiculous, but people who are abusive will literally find any reason to hurt you and make it your fault. Not very surprisingly, Lam wasn't close to his family. He rarely spoke or had meaningful conversations with his family members, mostly just keeping to himself. Also not surprisingly, he did not have many friends. Despite a rather turbulent and complicated upbringing, he seemed to be doing quite well at school. As a young boy, his grades were generally good and was mostly in the top 10 of his class. Asian schools have this obsession of ranking their students, so if you think you're dumb, the school will give you concrete proof that you are indeed dumb. It's annoying for sure, but things kind of changed when he started middle school. His father was abusive but not neglectful. He continued to push Lam to achieve more, to do more, be better. Not in an encouraging manner, but like, go to day school and night school so you can excel. Stretching yourself this thin isn't necessarily how you succeed. 
and that's when his grades began to slip. When Lamb was 15, his father opened up his own electric bike shop, and because it's hard to run a business on your own, he decided to make Lamb help him out, since he studied engineering at his night school. So you see, he went to regular school during the day, helped out at the shop after school, and immediately after he was off to engineering school. This sounds terrible. Understandably, a teenager probably couldn't handle so much going on, so his relationship with his father deteriorated even more. They fought constantly, and he was kicked out several times. Due to his poor grades and poor relationship with his father, he ended up abandoning some of his dreams and went on to become an apprentice at an air conditioning shop. His first brush with the law happened after he graduated from high school in the year 1973. He forced a woman into a public bathroom in a park and proceeded to sexually assault her by touching her, but she managed to break free and reported him to the police. He was immediately apprehended and taken into custody. He did not come off completely mentally well to the police, so instead of locking him up or letting him go, they brought in a psychiatrist to check him out. Lamb was diagnosed with some form of mental health issue, not sure what, and was then hospitalized in a psychiatric ward for about 100 days. He was discharged afterwards and returned home to his blended family. His family, though, was not very keen on having him back, as they knew he had issues when it came to assaulting women, so understandably, they didn't feel safe, especially his sisters. No one wants to live with a sex offender. But maybe all this instability in his family did mold him to become the person he became. Who knows? He was eventually asked to move to another apartment unit, where he shared a living space with his father, his sister, and his brother. A thing worth noting is that Lamb had an unhealthy obsession with pornography. Not unlike many serial killers, 70s and 80s pornography mostly consisted of dirty magazines, which he ordered via phone or mail, something we younger people probably cannot imagine because it's awkward. He had a secret stash in his room, the same room he shared with his brother. He had a pact with his brother, though. Don't bother me, and I won't bother you. Don't touch my stuff, and I won't touch your stuff. Therefore, no one knew about a secret, but I also doubt he really cared. So like most hobbies, he kind of got tired of it, but instead of abandoning it completely, he decided to take it up a few notches. Looking at porno mags is fun and all, but... He felt like it lacked excitement. And what's more exciting than getting your own content for yourself and by yourself? So he bought himself a Polaroid camera and began snapping upskirt photos of random women. He even signed up for the local photography association. Highly doubt people knew what kind of photos he was taking, but if they knew, they probably would have kicked him out. I hope. Let's just say Polaroid cameras are not exactly the most discreet cameras in the world. They make a loud noise when you press the shutter button, and then there is a flash. And I'm not sure if you can actually get rid of the flash. What I'm trying to say is, he angered every single woman he took a photo of, so that hobby had to come to an end as well. I don't think he ever really found his hobby to be wrong, not defending his actions or him as a person but it should be pretty clear that this guy was not well. 
So during his time obsessing over pornography and upskirt photos, Lamb also obtained his license as a taxi driver in 1978 and began a new career because his hobby was expensive at the time and he needed money. After about two years of driving around, he formally changed his taxi shift and became a nighttime driver, or what you might call the graveyard shift. At around this time, he decided to get back into photography, but not Polaroids. He spent most of his free time studying cameras and understanding the techniques. As a rather socially awkward and distant person, he must have really loved photography to want to join any of these groups. He was still sharing a room with his brother at this point, but his family rarely ever saw him, as he worked complete opposite hours as them, and even when they did see him, he would appear disheveled and in need of a bath. His existence was almost ghost-like, appearing randomly and never really acknowledging the existence of anyone else. He was pretty much always in his head, living in his own world. Although his hobby helped distract him from other illegal activities, it would only be a matter of time until he got himself into more trouble. By trouble, I mean murder. On February 3, 1982, Lam picked up a 21-year-old, Chang Feng Lan, at around 4 a.m. She was a nightclub dancer and had just gotten off work from a night of drinking and dancing. She got into the taxi, told Lam her destination, and passed out immediately. He dutifully drove her to her destination, but once he saw that she was still passed out, an awful idea popped into his head. He turned the car around and drove her back to his apartment, parked the car downstairs, went up to his apartment and got some electrical wires. He came back down and proceeded to strangle the unconscious woman to death. By then, it was probably around 5 a.m. People would be starting to get up, which is not ideal for a killer. He decided to drag the woman's body up to the apartment he shared with his entire family and stuffed her body under the couch in the living room. This just makes me wonder what kind of couch they had that was big enough to stuff a human underneath, but somehow no one noticed. But imagine getting up in the morning, sitting on the couch for five minutes, contemplating life and how much you hate work, all the while not knowing there was a dead woman underneath. Very creepy. Lam was the only person in the apartment during the day, so he waited till everyone left dragged the body out from under the couch, stripped the body naked, and took photos of the corpse. After he was satisfied with his little art project, he went out and bought a chainsaw, returned to the apartment, set up his video camera, and dismembered the body into seven parts, one of the parts being Chan's lady parts. He placed that into a jar and filled it with rice wine, which would help serve as a preservative. He hid the jar in his room, wrapped the rest of the body parts with newspaper, then placed them into garbage bags so he could dispose of them later. This is how Lamb came to kill his very first victim. It took a few more months for Lamb to commit his next murder. Could be because he needed time to regroup, or he never found the right victim. But this time he was definitely more ready and prepared. Almost four months later, on a rainy night on May 29th at around 5 a.m., Lam was driving 31-year-old Chan Wan Kit home. He stopped his car in a remote area and began to threaten her with a knife. Once he had her under his control, 
he proceeded to handcuff her and strangle her with possibly the same electrical cord he used previously. He then proceeded to cut off both of her breasts and her private parts with surgical instruments, which he would later place in jars filled with formaldehyde. He went from using rice wine to using formaldehyde, so it's safe to say he really dug deep into this. He dismembered the rest of her body and wrapped them up in newspaper, put them in bags, and disposed of them in random remote areas. As an avid photographer, he of course videotaped the entire dismemberment process. No way he was going to let this opportunity slip by. I guess his confidence was building up rather quickly, because a third murder happened only three weeks later on June 17th, another rainy night. A 29-year-old woman, Lung Salwan, was heading home at around 4am after a busy night working at a club, and she met the same fate as a second murder victim. Lam brought her back to his apartment, yes, the same one he shared with his entire family, and this time, instead of hand-holding his camera to record his deeds, he put it on the shelf so he could examine the body better, as in he could use both hands. He used a scalpel and opened up Lung's body, played with her organs and even tried tasting her intestines, mostly out of curiosity. He probably wanted to see if he had it in him to eat it, but he later admitted that he was grossed out by it and gave up. Again, he chopped the body into pieces, put them in various bags, and threw them in remote areas around Hong Kong. The next and last murder took place only about two weeks later on July 2nd. His killing window has shortened significantly, probably because it was the only thing he deemed exciting in his life. This time, he picked up a 17-year-old student, Long Wai Sum, from an end-of-school dinner party at the local Sheraton Hotel. It was around 11 p.m., not super late, but definitely late for a 17-year-old. This is his youngest victim, and maybe that's why things went a bit differently. He did his usual thing, drove to a remote place, handcuffed her, but instead of killing her immediately, he spent a few hours just talking to her about life, religion, school, family, the future, which is ridiculous because at this point she had no future. After their heart-to-heart -heart chat, he then strangled her to death anyway and took her body back to the apartment. This would be the only victim Lam would confess to performing sexual acts with, but not when she was still alive, that is. It's necrophilia. He again videotaped the act and the dismemberment, then tossed her remains in a remote hilly area. Because the victim was so young, she had multiple family members expecting her home at a certain time. When she failed to return home, this immediately alarmed the family and she was reported missing almost straight away. But as we know, it was too late for them to do anything because Lam had already killed her by the time the police were notified. So by now, Lam had accumulated a fairly large collection of photos and videos and human jars. Remember that this is the early 80s, so after taking photos, the only way to get a hard copy would be to get them developed in a darkroom. Unfortunately for Lam, he did not have a darkroom, but he did have friends from his photography club. He met a guy who worked at a photo studio, and this guy became his go-to guy for developing photos. 
So you might be wondering if this guy was a bit weirded out by his photos. And the answer would be, yes, of course, who would not be? But Lamb had the perfect reasoning for his photos, or so he thought. He lied that he worked part-time at the morgue, and his job was to photograph the bodies and the autopsy. So that's why his photo contents were of dead people. Okay, weird, but at least less weird with an explanation. This friend was trying to be helpful, so he was like, Okay, Lan's my friend. I'll be the one in charge of his photos from now on. He didn't want anyone else handling these photos because, out of context, they looked really bad. So this is how he got away with developing so many photos without anyone getting suspicious. But what changed? Apparently one day in August, Lan decided that he wanted to get a close-up of one of his photos. Maybe it's fate. Maybe it's luck. But that day, some of the equipment in the studio had malfunctioned. Which meant, the photos had to be sent to another studio for development. Perhaps this friend forgot about the strange nature of Lan's photos, so he failed to tell anyone else the details of what they might find. And Lam certainly did not expect the photos to get handled by anybody else, especially someone he did not know. So once the photo developer saw the photos, he was like, Nah, this can't be legal. And the police were called. The police saw the photos and were extremely uncomfortable, as one would expect. They decided to take these to the real experts and get their opinion. The forensic expert took a good hard look at these photos, and concluded that these corpses were very recently deceased, possibly within two or three hours. The bodies were clearly not laid out on the slab, and there were no surgical instruments in sight, and the hand of the person handling them was not even wearing your typical surgical green gloves. The way the bodies were dissected also indicated that these cuts were not done by a professional, as they were incorrect and very crude. So having a bunch of photos of possible murder victims didn't lead them anywhere as none of the heads of the victims showed up in the photos. But upon closer inspection, they noticed that there was a shiny surface in the background of one of the photos, and reflected on that surface was the partial face of a young woman. In fact, she looked familiar, similar to that of a young 17-year-old who disappeared only a month ago. Well, that was that. The police returned to the photo studio and decided to wait for the owner of these photos to show up. Obviously, it would be very off-putting if a bunch of police officers stood around the photo studio because that makes people feel uneasy. I'd probably hesitate going in if I saw a bunch of police officers around and I didn't even do anything. So one police officer went undercover as an employee, another one as a customer. They wanted as many ears listening in as possible. So on August 17th, around 6pm, Lamb strolls into the store to pick up his photos. The fake employee then brings out a bunch of different photos. Some were his, some were not, asking him to please confirm which ones were his. He picked out his photos, and when the employee questioned him on the nature of these photos, he explained with confidence that he was a photographer for a morgue, and these were purely for work. As soon as he confirmed his photos and paid, the police immediately moved in and arrested him on the spot. And that's how the Jar Killer, aka the Rainy Night Butcher, 
aka the Butcher of Hong Kong, was apprehended. Finally. But of course, Lam wasn't planning on admitting to his crimes just yet. When he realized that his first lie about being a photographer wasn't panning out, he then corrected himself by lying again, saying that, oh, actually these weren't my photos, I was only retrieving these photos for a reporter friend from a certain newspaper agency. He even gave them a name of said reporter, but when police went to check, they found no one by that name. That's when they did a thorough search of Lamb's home and of his vehicle, and they discovered all these weird things in his possession. His family members were also arrested at first, because they were like, there's no way this guy killed, videotaped, took photos, dismembered, and disposed of these women all by himself. I get it, it sounds like a lot of work. Not to mention he did all that in the apartment that he shared with his family members. It just didn't seem possible to the police. After questioning the family members, they realized that indeed, it was really all Lamb. His family were just as shocked as they were. They said that they rarely ever saw Lamb at home as they had opposite schedules. And even when they did run into each other at home, they would not really interact with him. His brother knew that Lamb kept personal items in their room, but he stated that they had an agreement where they would not invade each other's privacy. And he honored that agreement. In order to get Lamb to fully confess, the police then arranged a family meeting at the police station, where Lamb's parents would end up confronting him, begging him to tell the truth and to not drag anybody else down with him, especially his brother. Lamb eventually confessed to his crimes and did not implicate any of his family members. That's probably the first time he was honest in a very long time. Lamb underwent psychiatric evaluation, but was found not only competent to stand trial, they also deemed him as very intelligent. I feel like with serial killers, we usually get the end of the two spectrums. They're either below average IQ or they're labeled as borderline geniuses. But even then, I doubt that they're really that smart. During his questioning, he admitted that he harbored a strong resentment towards prostitutes, even going as far as saying that he was getting rid of them as it was God's will. Of course, the women he killed probably were not prostitutes, but he made them out to be, especially since two of them worked at nightclubs. With his confession, Lamb went on trial on March 3, 1983, and the jury consisted of seven men. Multiple experts were asked to take the stand and analyze the photos and evidence found, including the jars, his photos, and his kill kit. Five psychiatrists were also called to the stand, and out of the five, three found him to be of sound mind, but with an unhealthy hatred-slash-obsession with women, and the other two said that he was not of sound mind. This trial took only 18 days, and on April 8th, he was found guilty of murder and was initially sentenced to death by hanging. But because the death sentence had been abolished, his sentence was then commuted to life imprisonment. Because it was rumored to be rainy on the nights he committed his killings, he was dubbed as the Rainy Night Butcher. But since he also kept jars of human parts, he was also labeled as a jarish killer. You get the idea. Lamb did not really show remorse or emotion during his trial, except for when the last victim was brought up. It seemed as if Lamb did not really want to kill the 17-year-old girl, but because he had already started the process, 
it was probably in his best interest to finish it off. Leaving a witness alive was risky business, but he was still caught and brought to justice. It was even said that he wept for the 17-year-old victim, but just her. Clearly, he had enough hatred for grown-ass adult women, so the other victims did not matter to him. Once the media revealed the kind of childhood Lamb had, people began to wonder if that could have had anything to do with the crimes he committed and the person he became. Lamb's father, though, denied treating his son badly. He turned around and blamed his son for being too rebellious, and that society also played a role in the making of this murder. I'm not sure that's how things work. Sure, we can't blame it all on the father, but to say you're completely blameless is also a little irresponsible. The dude was literally killing and dismembering under your roof, and the fact that you failed to notice anything also says a lot. Maybe Lamb was just good at hiding it, or maybe his father just didn't care about him. Who knows? Lamb is still in prison to this day, and he's a skinny, scrawny, bald man. It is said that other inmates are intimidated by him, not because he's big or burly, because he's not, but because he's just so creepy. Prison guards even believe that there are spirits attached to Lamb, because once they saw Lamb through the security footage, walking, and there were human-shaped auras all around him. Well, four, to be exact. As in the four victims? Chinese people believe in those that have been wrongfully killed or murdered will attach themselves to their killers out of spite. So maybe that's something Lamb has to live with for the rest of his life. Which is definitely another form of life sentence. It is stated that Lamb is a model prisoner. Very diligent, a big loner, has no friends, but I guess also no enemies since no one wants to get close to him. He allegedly began attending religious meetings, and aside from those in the group, he has no other visitors, not even his family members. A rumor came about in 2018 that Lamb was granted parole, which of course brought on a wave of concern from everyone in Hong Kong. But that was said to only be a rumor. Of course, there were plenty of movies made from this case, and one of the most famous ones was called Dr. Lamb, produced in the year 1992. So there you have it, the case of the guy who killed and obsessed over his dead victims, keeping their parts in jars and hid them in the same room he shared with his younger brother. It's weird to think that some people can be so bold. He clearly didn't think much of the consequences, because if he did, he either would not have killed anyone, or would have moved out and set up his own dark room. I do believe that his state of mind was not in a healthy spot, because the way he operated just seemed so careless. It's a good thing he didn't manage to get more victims and was caught, but also not great that four innocent women had to lose their lives. Lamb is currently 68 years old, and will probably never set foot out of his prison, which is probably a good thing. Remember though, not all taxi or Uber drivers are out to get you, but you should still be careful. Please take care, and always stay vigilant. And thank you for tuning in to this episode. By the way, in my most recent podcast review, it was mentioned that I kind of covered too many crimes about men killing women. Trust me, I know, and I hate that, but that just kind of seems to be a very common trend. I will try to find more diverse topics if I can, so please stick with me for now. 
Fair warning, though. Next episode is going to be another case of a man killing women. Sorry, but there will be a quick break from that trend after that episode. I promise. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. We about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old school greats and new school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.